You hung up on Metallica? About 10 minutes later. <laughs> wow. I hung up on Metallica. <laughs> Whiskey warm to waking in Have some fun while you're here Do you listen? Do you hear? It's coming in loud and clear. Welcome everybody uh, to another edition of Battle Scars. My name is Lee Michaels and my co-host Patrick Callahan. Hey everybody. <laughs> and we are here with a very special guest, Bill Stevenson. Hey guys, how's everything going? <laughs> um, for those who don't know Bill Stevenson, you're missing out. Uh, Bill was the founder of the Stone Balloon, which is a legendary bar on Main Street in Newark, Delaware. Um, I went there many a night, and some nights I don't remember going home. But uh, it was an awesome place, legendary music bar, and uh, just a legendary bar altogether. And uh, what Patrick and I were hoping to talk about with Bill was um, the thing about being an entrepreneur is you have to overcome obstacles. And... What we were hoping to do was uh, to share stories about how we overcame those obstacles and how, as an entrepreneur, you're going to be faced with those and you know you're going to face them. And it's not the fact that you're going to face them, it's how do you respond to them and, and deal with them. But I thought it'd be great if we start with uh, Bill. Maybe if you could start with just telling a story of what is the stone, what was the stone balloon um, and, and how to get started and, and go from there. He's got a book. Oh, yeah. So I'm, he's yeah. not going to plug it, I'm sure, but I'm going to plug it. So it's a good book. It's awesome. It's a good book, but it's sold out, and it's selling for ridiculous prices. You might have seen that. It's that's like awesome. thousands of dollars, right? The one final copy of it or something. It's <laughs> that's ridiculous. Pretty, that's awesome. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Anyway, I was a football player in high school at a place called Wyoming Seminary in Kingston, Pennsylvania. This was a prep school that had an amazing team there were only 250 students, but they actually recruited people to come to the school. I was very fortunate to go there. I graduated in 1968, and that summer of 68, I ended up doing some things that were very unique. Unfortunately, my father had passed away the day I graduated, wow. so I never mm -hmm. really graduated. So the summer flew by, and I had planned to attend the University of Delaware and play football. I had accepted a scholarship to come down to Newark, Delaware. Was that for Tubby? That was for Tubby. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, the wing tee. And... The wing tee, the wing everything. Yeah, Tubby was an amazing guy. Uh, the fact that my father had passed away, Tubby took a special interest in me and my family. Talk about an obstacle. made a yeah. huge difference. I arrived here, and Coach Raymond walked up to me, and he said, listen, I know you had a bunch of scholarships, I appreciate you coming here. We realize your mother is in Philadelphia struggling with the loss of your father. Anything you need, you let me know. Wow. And I knew right then he was a special guy. Yeah. Wow. My career at Delaware was very short-lived. You talk about obstacles. I had a <laughs> lot of things going on. I thought my family had more money than they did. And uh, we had a lot of special things. But all of a sudden, my mother was saying, you know, we're sort of struggling a little bit paying the bills. So I knew my time at the University of Delaware was not going to be that long. Yeah. Wow. That year, I started a package delivery service Wait, called how did Stevenson Van Transport. How did that come about? Like, all right, so I had no idea this was going to start out with this obstacle. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. When you said you're going to start, I was like, oh, is he going to be a Catholic priest or whatever? But then, so your dad dies. You get here, someone takes you underneath their wing, 
And then you start a business? Like, why? One like, of the great coaches took me under. Yeah. He's legendary. Absolutely. You can Google yeah. the Stone Balloon, everybody. It's the Stone Balloon Tavern and Concert Hall. Yeah. And it still is a restaurant on Main Street in the same location called the Stone Balloon Ale House, right. which is all based on the history of the old Stone Balloon. So if you ever wonder what we're talking about tonight, you can actually come to Newark, Delaware, visit Green, yep. and stop by the Stone <laughs> Balloon you. and see the past. But so, wait, get to that point, you went and you started a business right away? Like you well, it's really funny how I started the business. Not the Stone Balloon, but the one that was right after you got here. The, the, it's called the Stevenson Van Transport, yeah. okay. package delivery And service. I imagine you just needed money. You just had to eat. I just needed a van, and the very funny thing was, <laughs> in the middle of that summer of 1969, after my first year at the University of Delaware and starting on the freshman football team, I decided to buy a van to go to Woodstock. <laughs> at that There's time, motivation right there. At that time, vans, very similar to what they are today, were back ordered a little bit. So I ended up taking my Camaro to Woodstock. And then when I came back, the van arrived. And I said, well, this is a little embarrassing because now I have a van and with nothing to do with it. The bottom line is I started out Stevenson Van Transport. So that was the reason, if you fast forward to 1971, I bought a piece of property, I bought four liquor licenses, I bought almost an acre of ground on Main Street. And you took a, talk about pushback. The Vietnam War was raging. Oh. Half of Main Street, people do not realize, because it's now incredibly successful, was vacant. Oh. And the wow. rents were nothing. The properties were nothing. I actually bought it from a gentleman named Merle Harris, who actually six years earlier had paid more for the property, the building, the liquor licenses. So I actually got a deal. And in August 8th, 1971, I walked out of the settlement office at Harlan Williams across the mm -hmm. street with a key in my hand. And I looked at a building that was right across the street and I was going to turn it into the stone balloon. I knew nothing about bartending. <laughs> I knew nothing about food. Well, you're talking about yourself, not Lee, right? Like, <laughs> but wait, wait, like, what? How were you a freshman when you bought that van? I, what I'm trying to get through is like, holy cow! Look at these obstacles you had of no father, going into the University of Delaware, no money. You somehow put it together. What, what year? Are you, what year were you when you bought that van? Like, I bought the van. Uh, in 1969, in May, they told me it would be in by my birthday in July. But you were still at University of Delaware? Or were no, you I had dropped out. Okay. I had called yep. Coach Raymond, and that's actually a funny story yeah. in itself. I told Coach Raymond I was buying a building and going to open up a bar and still go to school. <laughs> it he went over well. He looked at me and said, will you get out of my office? <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, my phone rings at the apartment. And it's Coach Raymond. He goes, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do, Bill? I said, why, Coach? What's the matter? It's awful early. He goes, it's on the front page of the news journal. 21-year-old <laughs> buys Merle's Tavern and is going to turn it into the stone balloon. <laughs> and do you think this was like part of your DNA just to do this? Or did you like, I see a vision, I'm going to run towards it. I drove by the building making deliveries. And we actually were very successful with the delivery service. I had all my college roommates and former football players and guys that 
were hanging around Newark working for me, the business took off. Yeah. It was hard. There were a lot of issues. Uh, nobody really wanted to work hard after being at the Deer Park until 2 in the morning. <laughs> and uh, I said, I want to get into the bar business. I did go to Woodstock. I've told everybody throughout my history that it inspired me. I said to myself, somehow I want to be involved with rock and roll music. Ah, I cool. saw the building. It was a beautiful stone-fronted building. I saw that there was one other bar in town at that point, the Deer Park. Yeah. And I knew there was room. And I had no idea how many issues and battle scars <laughs> I would obtain in the next five years. But then years. everyone was – so in, when you opened up opening days, and I remember being over there, we're yeah. pointing at Grain opening day when Lee's like, we're going to open this thing. You said it with Jim. And, and you had so many issues that we're like, we're going to get through this. But you had a network, and you know, like people surrounding you. Yeah, you came did, to help paint. Yeah, and Sean came to help bust your TVs open. But the um, did you have like a, a good support? Like, would they, did they all help you? They were like, "Will you do you tell the story a million times?" And they're like, "All right, I'm going to make this happen with you." Are we? Are I we had there? no plan. Yeah, good I man. really had no plan. Yeah, I thought that I was going to walk into this building, turn the key, change the draft beer, <laughs> and build a little stage in the corner, and we'd be open in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. So, the little that I know, that did not happen. <laughs> the little that I know, that the next morning I yeah. woke up, I'm all excited, I'm going to go over and build a stage in a corner and have bands in by the weekend. <laughs> Except I walked up to the front door and I said, what is this big red sign from the city on the front door? It's not a welcome sign. <laughs> it's not, hey Bill, come on over and... You know, celebrate with us. We love you on Main Street. They, the city of Newark condemned the building. So these are just, like, oh. this is where it can start. <laughs> so you bought the building. You bought the business, essentially, because you bought the business licenses and everything. So, Or the uh, liquor licenses. And so you your intent was to go open. And clearly they had a different intention. And they were like, no, this isn't going to work as anything. They, they condemned it. What they did was they used a little known rule that even my attorney, who turned out to be brilliant over the years, that once the property changes hands, they can inspect it. Oh. Now, the building operated for six years. And listen, Merle Harris was so into this building. Uh, we had first federal savings and loan give me a loan because okay. of the trucking yeah. company. Okay. And Merle Harris himself held a second mortgage. Okay. And I had $25,000, you know, from the trucking company and a small inheritance. Right. And I had probably $15,000 to clean it up, put some carpet in and build a stage. So not a big bucket of money. I mean, you were coming in there, you were limping in essentially. I had no money. Yeah. <laughs> I was so naive. And one thing that I'm going to tell everybody out there about battle scars, whatever they tell you it's going to cost to open up a business, double that Maybe tripled in today's market. <laughs> that is a fair. But there are just so many pushbacks. You have to make friends with the location, the area, your neighbors, your landlord yeah. before you do anything, before you move forward. As I said, I had no idea. I looked at the front of the building. I called my lawyer and he says, well, we're going to have to find you a builder. And uh, we're going to have to get this mess cleaned up. 
So we went over and we met with the city three days later, and they said, well, we want you to knock half the building down. <laughs> so the cool thing like, that I'm hearing is like the ignorance was, but you were just still driving through this thing. Like, the, the ignorance is actually, like, it would never, if you had known all this stuff beforehand, you probably would have never gotten off the ground. Yeah, right? I would have never bought the place. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And we wouldn't have had an institution that's nationally known that some of the biggest global people have played on your stage, that would never have happened. As we get into this in the next couple minutes, (laughs) I just want to tell everybody that it really did work out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In 33 years, the bar grossed over $100 million. I've traveled the world. I partied with Bruce Springsteen, Robert Palmer, the Pointer Sisters, Metallica. So everybody, it did work out. Oh, for sure. But the first couple of months are things that this... Uh, conversation is about you have to be ready for anything yeah if I was ready for this I probably wouldn't have planned for anything like this so sometimes the best laid plans come at you at all all once but ignorance was your friend you know because look what happened afterwards I'm like Tyson say everybody has a plan until the first punch like Like, you know, know, and it's like you've you've got these ideas on what you want to do. And and as a business person, everybody's like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be open by the weekend. You know, I'm going to. And you don't know all the details of what's going into it, but you keep pushing through. You keep you keep doing it. And um, to Patrick's point, because you didn't know what all the obstacles were, it wasn't necessarily daunting. You were just like, let me solve the next problem. Let me get open. Let me what do I need to do to get going? I saw none of the problems. as I had mentioned, the Vietnam War was raging. Uh, students and people coming home from that war weren't as friendly as they should have been. And uh, it turned out to be amazing. The way the community came together, two things happened. The news journal put me on the front page for the first time. And the day I bought the place, I took a little cardboard sign and I put it on the front door and I wrote the stone balloon. Wow. People were walking up going, what the hell is a stone balloon? I said, well, it's going to be a bar with entertainment. And nobody really got it until a couple days later, front page, a Gary Mullinex article read, Stone Balloon Owner Has Closed Door Blues, was the lower headline in the news journal. Whoa. Now, the thing that saved us, the city did everything they could to ruin my life except they let me keep the package goods store open i remember the package store okay there was a little package store in front of the building that was about 20 by 40 (laughs) and it was doing 50 dollars a day within a month it was doing two thousand dollars a day wow i was giving tours through the building what we were going to do because of course it took months to get a building permit the bottom line is everybody we got a building permit. Uh, we had to go to court a couple times. Wilmington Trust actually came through and said, if you're going to build this addition, we can't finance your bar, but we will finance the addition. Huh. And I ran into the best builder in the world. They're called First State Contractors, and it's owned by the Mazzetti family. Okay. Amazing people. When you're here in Delaware, you've heard a lot about us being a small state. But let me tell you, this little small state came together with the right lawyer, the Mazzetti family, and Wilmington Trust, and I, and all my friends that were dumb enough to work for free. <laughs> Thank you, all those friends. You know what blows my mind? Like, and, and 
bringing this back a little bit to you and I days and it, just hearing the story. I remember one time sitting next to you, Lee and I shared desks. Like you were adamant about putting our desks together for some reason. So, <laughs> so you could I could pick on him. He could punch me in the face. And um, I remember we were trying to pick out an office and we got this office. We were paying $1,500 a month and we were going to jump into this next office was $13,000 a month. Thank you. I remember the exact <laughs> amount. And I said to Lee at that one point, I said, I don't think we can afford this. Maybe we should call the realtor and tell him like, hey, we should pull off. And you had that vision in your head so embraced. You didn't even stop. You said, no, we're going to make this happen. We're going to make this happen. And for you to go through this kind of stuff, like for the just the beginning frame until where you are today, whatever, that takes a vision and like strong, like you just didn't give up. Like you could have stopped. Like It was too late to stop. Yeah. The funny thing about it that you just bring this up is that this was 50 years ago, a couple months ago, 50 years ago. I'd get up in the morning, run my delivery business, work until three or four in the afternoon, and put the truck back into the warehouse, and then all, all my friends would meet at the stone balloon to paint, to knock down walls. <laughs> yeah. We actually knew what we had to do because the city was focused on the addition in the back. They didn't realize that we were renovating the front oh. from six o'clock at night to <laughs> two in the morning. We were building like beams. We were moving equipment in. We had the front of the building all set to go. And the fact that they didn't keep an eye on us at night was another miracle. <laughs> but I was just so naive. I figured this is the only way to do this. Yeah. Let's not do it when they're around. Let's do it when they're not around. Oh and they God. never, ever really picked up on it. That's great. That's great. That and saved I me about $20,000. <laughs> probably precious weeks of opening. Like It just would have delayed everything. The final blow. Here's how a city can be very mean if you're not getting along. We got everything done. We built an addition. We built, instead of one bar, we had two. Instead of a creepy little stage, we had an amazing stage. And the building was blocked. And we rewired the whole building so it was safe. Two days before New Year's Eve, we wanted to open up by New Year's, December 1971. The city came over, and I noticed that they were measuring the building. And this is the stuff that people can throw at you if you don't have a working relationship with them. And by the way, the good news about this is the city and I, after four years later, all fell in love <laughs> and uh, we got anything we wanted going forward. I ended up building seven additions and the place went from 290 people to a legal capacity of 1,250. Wow. Wow. So you can get over this. But just before New Year's Eve, they came in and they said, oh, we've got some bad news for you, Bill. And this was maybe the meanest thing that ever happened in business to me in my life. They said, you got to pull out all the wiring and put it in conduit oh. because you have 100 extra square feet than is under code. Oh. So if you're starting a business and you're thinking about like what you have to do, know the law, understand the law. You have to understand all aspects of it. At the latest, a couple of weeks, we opened up on February 22nd on top of that night, which was a Tuesday night in February 1972. We had about 600 people out front 
and we got six inches of snow. <laughs> Talk about an obstacle. So, you should own a snowplow too. <laughs> so what you, like when they told you, um, yeah, like take me back to that night. Like, what did they? Um, they said you can't open tomorrow. You got or two days from now, you've got a hundred square feet, or whatever. What, did your head just go on the bar? Did you get furious? What happened? Like, do you remember that night? Do you remember? Oh, where I remember I, yeah. it's clear as day. That actually happened at around four o'clock. We thought my lawyer said, "Listen, they're going to look." So you called your lawyer. That was the first person you called. He was there. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Don Booker at this time and I had become great friends for yeah. six months. Uh, he was there. He's walking around, and uh, they walked up and they told him first. And I could see him <laughs> looking over at me, and uh, you know. They said, you, you do realize he's six foot four, 225, and a third degree black belt. So you go tell him. I'm not telling him that you're not opening next week wow. for New Year's Eve. Yeah. We had already sold New Year's Eve out for 300 tickets. So oh, I actually no. had like $5, three times, yeah, 300 people had paid me $5 to uh-huh. make sure that they get in. That's how the conduit's getting fixed. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Like that night. So uh, what did you there's do? There's nothing I could do. I went home. I told my wife, I said, maybe this was a mistake. I think that they're going to keep me here and bankrupt me here. And uh, strangely, we talked to the contractor, Globe Electric, two brothers that own Globe Electric are still alive today in their 90s. And amazing guys. And they said, we will work with you. This is as much our mistake as yours. Mm. And we worked around the clock for five days. I had my friends still working for free, pulling out wiring. <laughs> I had my friends, after the conduit was up, peel the wiring, kick stuff off, and slide it back through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it took a month, but we got it done. Yeah, relationships matter. That's relationships a, uh, uh, yeah. are critical. I, yeah. I can't warn everybody enough. Like, I, I still hear things happen uh, like this. Maybe the, the people that do business weren't as naive as I was in 71 and 72. Yeah. But we learned quick. Mm-hmm. You know, we built a second edition in like four weeks. Wow. <laughs> so let's move on past because yeah. I want to, there's so much more about Snow Malone yeah, I want to talk about. This that, is just the beginning. No, this is great. And these, these are some of his huge obstacles and you overcame them. One thing I will say before we go on that I wanted to highlight that you mentioned is that when we talk about obstacles, it's not always an enemy. Like, like you're not fighting necessarily fighting the city. You were able to find a way to build a relationship with them and your partners and, and like your electrician that you mentioned to work together and and so I think a lot of times people open these businesses and it, they feel like it's us against somebody else and I think everybody wants to work together they just want to find a way to work together that works within everybody's mindset and from a city it's is this safe is this within code is this legal and and you weren't necessarily trying to break those laws but you needed help in trying to figure out how to manage and navigate those laws and ultimately you built a good relationship with them and i think that that when people are going into these businesses starting things looking at these obstacles not necessarily as the enemy but as just things you got to learn and overcome and by winning them over now all of a sudden you've got an advocate as opposed to an obstacle yeah but let's go on to some some great times you had some amazing bands there's two i'd love to touch on we'll start with one if we have time we'll get to the second one but um, the one that everybody talks about is, is when Bruce Springsteen came to town. And it wasn't that he showed up one night and nobody knew about it. Like the buzz started to get out to the point where, if I recall correctly, the city was telling you that you can't, you can't do this. And, and so talk to us about how did that come about? Like 
you were building maybe a little bit before that like you were building a legendary destination music destination before that obviously or he wouldn't have shown up but you know, how did that come about how did that happen bruce springsteen showed up at the stone balloon on main street on the 13th of august 1974 and the funny thing is everybody has heard about two bars on the east coast in regard to bruce one is the stone pony in asbury park new jersey and two is the stone balloon and what was funny was bruce lived two blocks from the stone pony in new jersey he lived two and a half hours from the stone balloon in newark delaware everybody keeps saying bill did you steal the name from the stone pony and because of bruce and i said well i've got a little shocker here <laughs> a the stone balloon opened up two years before the stone pony and bruce springsteen played at the stone balloon two years before he ever walked a step into the stone pony <laughs> in asbury new jersey awesome. so the stone balloon was first and bruce played the stone balloon first wow in february of 1974 it's almost like i can remember it like it was yesterday yeah. a guy by the name of sam miller great guy legendary lawyer in delaware very successful and unfortunately he passed away a few years ago he was uh in with some of the doormen he didn't work at the stone balloon he just became a great friend of mine i picked him up hitchhiking a couple years before that <laughs> and sam and i became friends and sam goes i'm in your bar every night i i appreciate you picking me up i said you just told me you're a sophomore how old are you he goes well that's another story <laughs> so i ignored that thank god so in february sam miller said listen bill i went home for christmas in north jersey and i saw this band that is one of the greatest bands now we were already two years in business we had done concerts like tom uh tommy james and the shondells we actually did which turned out to be a great concert tiny tim we were no doing way. the oldies bands really because we could do them for two thousand dollars and what we realized on a tuesday night the students weren't coming so we started doing oldies acts which weren't that old you know we're talking about all the groups that had one or two hits todd rundgren all these bands were coming in and then I decided to go see Bruce Springsteen at Sam Miller's request. We literally jumped into my Mercedes Benz. We drove to North Jersey. This bar that we saw Bruce in was just sad, but just fun. And I said, boy, they got the fun right, but they got a, <laughs> this building should be condemned. I don't even feel safe in it. Where's their red sticker? <laughs> yeah, where is their sign on the door? I was almost going to condemn it the next day myself. <laughs> I talked to Bruce, I talked to his management, I said, listen, we own a bar and I will build. When can Bruce come? And they said, well, we're on going to, we're doing a warm up here tonight because we're going out with the group Chicago for a couple weeks. Oh. I said, how long? So he goes, six, eight weeks. I said, I will tell you what, I think this guy's so amazing. I want to build one more big addition and one more loading dock stage area in the stone balloon and take our capacity. Oh, wow from like 650 to over a thousand. I will build that addition. When is the first open date? And they said the 7th of August. I said, fantastic. You got it. Well, we wrapped up the addition in July. Unfortunately, Bruce had a personal incident on the 6th. 
and you can read about this because it's now well known. Somebody, it was a mistaken identity. Somebody actually stabbed Bruce oh. on the Asbury Park boardwalk. Now, they kept it hush-hush because okay. they didn't want anything to happen. Right. His career is just sort of taking off. The E Street album, the second album is coming out. Asbury Park's beginning to set, uh, sell again. And we were ready to go. He showed up the following Tuesday. Yeah. Wow. It changed everything. You know, all the pushback, all the craziness. When it was mentioned that the city didn't want him to come, they didn't realize how big it was going to be. By 6 o'clock, they had to close down Main Street at the McDonald's, and they would ask everybody at the other end of Main Street, where are you going? They said, we're going to the Stone Balloon. They said, no, you're not. Go up Library Avenue. Oh, man. And uh, we'll see you later because we're arresting people at the Stone Balloon. <laughs> there's been a riot down there. So, of course, nobody wants to come back for a riot. <laughs> there's a good promotion strategy. There's 1,000 people inside and 2,000 outside at this point. So people couldn't come down Main Street anyway because they were double parked. It was nuts. And it changed my life and the Stone Balloon's life forever. Yeah, that's... it's. Um, and what did you do with that? Like, what... Like, how did you capitalize on that success? Like, that, it was a... It was lightning in a bottle for one night and it could have just been a one and done, but you were able to turn it into something... You were able to make a legend out of it. Two things happened. The news journal was there, and it was the first time that the Philadelphia Inquirer came down because they had written some minor stories about Bruce, and Bruce hadn't played Philadelphia yet. Yeah. Oh, wow. And this was early in his career. This is yeah. right at the beginning of the East Street Band. Wow. And thank God, Bruce, later on in one of his books, said that uh, I, Bill Stevenson, was the first one to treat he and the band with respect outside the state of New Jersey. Oh, wow. wow. And then in 1991, at the Spectrum, the Wells Fargo Center hadn't been built yet. Of course, we went to see Bruce. And I'm sitting there, and I just remarried my wife, Linda. And we had been to a couple shows, like we had seen Phil Collins, and we traveled a lot to see the bands. And, uh, you know, it was always just go to a concert, and we'd always get in, and people knew who we were, and we always had backstage passes. But we're sitting about 20 feet from the stage at the Spectrum. And right in the middle of the concert, I hear, where's Bill Stevenson? Oh, wow. <laughs> it was my first time ever on a major stage. Where's Bill Stevenson? I know he's here somewhere. Well, I stood up, and of course, it's pitch dark, and right. the spotlights were going over. He goes, Billy, come on up on stage. Okay? That would have never happened because in 1974, uh, uh, excuse me, the Inquirer wrote about it. The News Journal wrote about it. Wow. Channel 6 wrote about it. MTV wasn't there yet. Right. But, I mean, the publicity we got was amazing. If you want to see how amazing it is, here we are on the 21st of April, 2022. And if you Google Bill Stevenson, Bruce Springsteen, four major stories will come up, including a picture of Bruce on the stage at the Stone Balloon. Wow. 1974. That's pretty cool. 50 year, 50, 48 years later, I still talk to Bruce and we still have conversations. <laughs> but what that did was open the floodgates. Every band never said they were too big to play the Stone Balloon because Bruce played the Stone Balloon and got big quick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So you're able to build on um, 
the success of that to build your credibility to get these other acts, which then made you more of a destination for others as well. The instant credibility. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just amazing. I mean, for like sure. the, the publicity, it's still out there. Yeah. You know, people go back and they Google this stuff and these, thank God, these papers, even though, <laughs> you know, it was 1974, you can still pull up video. I have an hour and a half of video that I've been offered a fortune for and have never sold it because Bruce asked me not to sell it. Wow. And wow. I never sold it. I'm about wow. to ask him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but think. So uh, talk to us about, and it's made me think of two other, or another one, but talk to us about Metallica. So that was like a random one that came out of the blue, right? Like they were trying to do all 50 states? Right. It was the 50-state tour. It was uh, 1989. The University of Delaware had a basketball game. And so the gym, both gyms were full. The Queen wasn't there yet. The right. Grand wasn't doing concerts. And the Playhouse didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> and they thought for some reason that going to Dover was going to be such a drive off of 95. And somebody mentioned... Um, it was probably me <laughs> at a Metallica concert before, if you ever want to play. Anyway, uh, I got a phone call. And at this point, I had sort of left the Stone Balloon on a daily basis. I was doing college concerts. Okay. And I want to tell you about that a little yeah. bit because that was yeah. the funniest thing that ever okay. happened to me. I was doing college concerts and... My cell went off. Thank God I'd never changed my number. Still have the same number <laughs> 40 years later. And uh, they said, uh, you listen, uh, you know, we want to play the Stone Balloon. And I went, this is Metallica, right? Are you kidding me? I said, you know, my friends don't have any sense of humor. I, why are you guys doing this to me? <laughs> I said, this is, punk, the show is over. I said, why are you doing this to me? And I hung up. You hung up on Metallica? About 10 minutes later. <laughs> wow. I hung up on Metallica. <laughs> I get That's a call a new back and it goes, Bill, what do you want me to do here? We have to make a decision here in the next 45 minutes. See, we're coming to the stone balloon. And if you hang up on me again, God damn it. I could realize at this point, this was real. Yeah. How big is the stage? And I said, you know, it's like 22 by 40. And what do we have to do to load in? I said, we have a loading dock. I said, we're one of the few clubs where I thought of the bands. And he said, have you ever been to a Metallica concert? I said, twice. He goes, all right, we're going to send a contract over. Do you have a fax number? I said, well, I'm not really running the Stone Balloon right now. I said, here's who you have to talk to. Right. And I gave him Jim's name. Right. And I said, this is amazing. Actually, at that point, it wasn't Jim. It was Elvin Steinberg. I'm very sorry about that. Okay. Elvin was running the Stone Balloon. Anyway, two days later, Elvin called up and he goes, we got them. They're coming. I said, now what are you going to do with it? I said, do you realize you're going to have the same problems we had on huge nights? Like Chuck Khan drew thousands. Bruce oh, wow. drew uh, thousands. Yeah. Pat Benatar yeah. drew thousands. Yeah. Hall & Oates, every time they came to play, drew thousands. I mean, the list of the bands, we have 150 bands that played the Stone Balloon that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. It's nuts. Alice Cooper. The Hooters played the Stone Balloon over 50 times. Wow. You had mentioned them yep. earlier. Yeah. So our history was there, but this was the biggest thing that was ever going to happen. Wow. Wow. That's I hung incredible. up on them. 
(laughs) 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 That's like, all right. Yeah, it's, um, for those that have, don't remember the stone balloon and as in its original carnation incarnation, um, it was not, it was not a huge theater. It was not a huge music hall. It was a bar like, and I, and I don't want to under, I don't want to diminish the, that's not a negative, but like, it was a bar. It was a bar. It was a fun college. I don't, I never called it a music hall or anything like that. We called it a concert hall only because it helped us get, uh, put our name out there a little bit yeah it yeah. distinguished us from a, the stone balloon cafe whereas where, where i got the name okay from the virgin islands back oh, wow. in 1968 the stone balloon tavern and concert hall happened right at the transition when i was leaving and the new guys were coming in okay i call right. them the babysitters <laughs> it's always tough to hand over something to somebody else that you've you've grown up and or that you've built yourself yeah um, the the challenges and the frustration there were you talk about pushback i had at this point by 1982 the bar had grossed about 40 million dollars i had put probably a thousand people through college Mm -hmm. Uh, i employed 120 people we were still having fun and there were a couple things politically that happened but just minor stuff but then the roadblocks came. You talk about a major challenge to a bar on Main Street where there's one way down and one way back. Mm-hmm. On Thursday night, they arrested, without warning, 100 people for driving under the influence. Because if they pulled out of the front of the stone balloon, they let every other car go by. They pulled the car out of the stone balloon parking lot. If they left on the rear entrance on Delaware Avenue, if they pulled out of the stone balloon, they pulled them over. Wow. They had 45 police officers on a Thursday night on in November of 1982. At that point, the bar was on its way to doing 3.5 to $4 million. And this is with beer money right. in 1982. And, and no food. No food. Just, except just for rock and night. roll. Friday nights you had pizza or something, right? No, Friday nights we had hot dogs. Hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is another whole story. Yeah, I want to get Pop to that. Popcorn was too expensive. <laughs> but uh, the, the publicity, as it was with Springsteen, was devastating. The bar went from going $3.5 million to $4 million by uh, November of 1983. We were lucky to gross $1.8 million. Oh, man. It cut us more than half. The roadblocks continued. We went to court four different times, right to the Supreme Court. It would take each time we went. It was a, uh, it was five to six weeks in between court dates. We finally beat the law, and they said, you can't just stop cars coming out of the stone balloon, period. Yeah. They weren't even stopping cars coming out of the deer park. We huh. were... The, the federal case for this and we weren't going to put up with it and I didn't spend a fortune but that is why all across America they have to stop Random. every car or every third car right. or every fifth car they can't stop every car that's coming out of a bar you fought huh. this all the way to the Supreme Court oh yeah and was it out of principle or was it out of business need I had money 
and yeah. uh, I knew that it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It was it was the right thing to do. Maybe and it you wasn't could just it for out me. Something else. But Thank God for Bill this. Brooks, who owns Stanley's Tavern. He came in mm-hmm. on it, and a couple other Delaware businessmen, the Yacherno family, came in on it. Okay. Because they own malls where bars were. Okay. So it wasn't just me at the end. Yeah. The final analysis was a group of very wealthy people that all believed in the same cause. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So talk to us about happy hour. Friday happy hours. Oh, Friday happy hour was just <laughs> a miracle when we needed a miracle. There was a place called the Creek. White Clay Creek runs through Newark. And it's a creek that's not quite a river, but it's a little bigger than a creek. But about a half a mile outside of Newark on Creek Road of all places, there's a bend. <laughs> and on this bend, because the creek had transformed around a corner, there was like a sandy little beach there. And from when I went to Delaware in 1968 to 1978, on Friday afternoons, everybody would go out to the creek, and that would be the place to be. <laughs> we were all riding dirt bikes in 78. We would all be, we, we just had so many toys <laughs> that all day long before the bar opened, we just had fun. Going to the creek was a big deal. And I had mentioned before when we were having a little conversation before this podcast that there was a big raid out there. They arrested like 200 people. So on Tuesday, right before the review was about to print, I put an ad in that was two inches by two inches because that's the only space they had in the whole review. And I wrote, the Creek Party is moving to the Stone Balloon on Friday (laughs) afternoons. 50 cent beers. See you there. (laughs) And I told my brother and my crew, let's put two bartenders on and uh, we'll we'll just see. Uh, Hopefully a hundred people will show up. Well, a thousand people showed up. (laughs) You you ever see the movie The Blues Brothers where they they strap the top of the 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 loudspeaker? They're driving along the beach. I can see. He did it with a two inch by two inch (laughs) ad in the review in a university newspaper. That's right. Yeah, the review is the university newspaper, the University of Delaware. Matter of fact, it was funny. I was just in the review two weeks ago. They just did a big story. Did you happen to see that at all? No, no. About the stone balloon. Oh, cool. It's it it. And to those again that don't know it, I I I apologize, but um, it was such a as somebody that went to University of Delaware and stayed in the area, it was such a an anchor to defining who you were to live in this area like it was because like you said we didn't have these other music venues and stuff and so to go there and see dave matthews band wow. or black crows or um these other you know amazing bands that again it's it's a bar first it's not like you're getting a ticket you're waiting in line you sit in a nice seat and you know you get you get serenaded by by a, a musician no it's a bar like it's, you're it's like genuine yeah, like <laughs> it's you, you wore different yeah. shoes that night because you didn't want the sh- the, the shoes to not survive. <laughs> there was else. so much beer spilt. Yes, the floors were actually, squish, 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 squish. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was insane. So right near, right around this time of Metallica, I had mentioned I had been involved with the bar. I was still a property owner of the bar, and uh, a friend of mine called me up and said, "My daughter." Uh, attends Rockland County Community College, and they can't get anybody to come to their bar. And I said, what does that mean? Well, we want you to go up there. I'm an alumni. I'm on the board of directors. And uh, I'd like you to throw a concert 
for 10,000 people at Rockland County Community College. Well, at this point, the ownership of the stone balloon was transforming. I didn't like the way the direction was going. Uh, there were just so many, we were butting heads, and these were friends, and I didn't really want anything to break up this friendship. And I said to myself, you know, it's time for me to leave. And along came Rockland County. And I go up there, and I call a friend of mine. I said, who's out in the next month? Who's playing colleges? He goes, Charlie Daniels. Wow. I said, shit, I don't know anything about you're good. You're good. Anything about Charlie <laughs> Daniels. I was told I, I had my head up the ass today. <laughs> I, you know, but yeah. Well, anyway, I go, I put down $6,000 for Charlie Daniels, write a check out, go to, you know, William Morris Agency who represented him. Devil came, you know. Devil came to Rockville. Yeah, the devil came to Rockville. <laughs> My favorite song. And a, a group called the Dictators, a punk band, opened up for him. The w- worst mismatch in history, yeah. but it turned out to be yeah. the greatest night ever. So Charlie shows up. The place is packed. You know, the, it was like thirty-five, forty thousand dollars in gross. And I had often wondered. Hmm, am I going to miss my income from the stone balloon and go back to running the trucking company? Right. I'm going to miss the fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said to myself, how am I going to get paid? How is this going to work out? So I go to Rockland County. It's a perfect night. People had so much fun. And at the end of the night, we walk back into the office and I figured there's going to be checks and administrators there and everything. Right. And uh, I walk in the office and there's a round table and uh the guy who's like running the show was just the greatest guy in the world we're still friends he's on my facebook page now that's great okay he takes a uh, uh what's the name of the uh, victoria's secret bag okay how did you forget and he that pours <laughs> a bag of cash all counted like wrapped and counted <laughs> and i'm looking at all this cash and i'm expecting a check i said uh, wow he goes, okay, well, here's 6000 for your deposit. Here's 6000 You just paid the balance to Charlie. Right. And here's your $16,000, your, your share of the profit. And then he takes sixteen grand and pulls it over to his side of the table. <laughs> and I went, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. So I look in the Victoria's Secrets bag, and I pull this little receipt out, and it's like, Negligee, $188. And I go, what's this? And he goes, oh, geez, I bought my girlfriend a little something. <laughs> it came out of, did it come out of your share? <laughs> I paid. I didn't even ask. I just looked at him and I said, okay, this is going to be my future. I'm going to be in the trucking business and the college concert business. Oh, that's great. And we did it for years. That's great. Just wow. happened often. Yeah. I can't believe how many schools do not have checking accounts. <laughs> There's oh. no, there's no uh, business scars on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Um, I got one more question. Okay, yeah, you fire yeah. away. All right, so, um, so y- you start out. Your your dad passed away. You got the sticker on the front. You've got the conduit through the the walls that are getting thrown out. You keep building on these things. There's challenges at every step of the way. Like fast forward now, we're 50 years later. You still run into these things, or is it is this life just like bring me to a, a entrepreneur who's still been at it and, and keep them going? Like, is it still just 
all good or everything is completely different as far as the challenges go yeah in the uh trucking delivery business the first time we went to new york was probably 1970 we went to new york we dropped off uh, a coffee table a dining room table and eight chairs we walked into the building it was on the upper east side doors open we walked in no questioning no nothing we delivered the stuff upstairs we all got in the truck there were three of us drove back to delaware and we said you know that's not that hard two things happened in the meantime 9-11 changed mm. everything yeah security ids but they came up with something right after 9-11 called certificate of insurance okay you used to have to have i i go to new york three days a week still this wow yeah i was wow. in dc in virginia yeah. today i mentioned yeah. i still go to new york three days a week i'll be there tomorrow the certificates of insurance used to be you used to have to have 25,000 insurance 50,000 in insurance Right now, the minimum certificate of insurance to walk into any building, commercial building or residential building in New York is $5 million wow. of insurance. Wow. Some are 10. Wow. You not only have to have that insurance, they actually call to verify that insurance. They're, they have a computer list of every insurance company. Thank God my insurance company has a sense of humor because all the years <laughs> that they insured me at the Stone Balloon, we never had a claim. Not one claim wow. in 33 years. Good for you. Yeah. And uh, we have had no major claims in New York right now. Yeah. So the pushback there is all of a sudden in the last two years with what I do, it's I'm so valuable to these people. I've gone from like 300 customers and 25 employees and 20 trucks to like me and eight part-time employees. I've got two in New York. Two in Brooklyn, huh. two in Connecticut, two in D.C., and they have small companies, and I make a plan. I'm a good planner, and I do it with them. But you know what we do? We take it to the door. We let them deal with either their homeowners right. or let them figure out the certificate of insurance. Right. And that pushback took almost two years to overcome. Like, we're talking between, you know, 9-11 dealing with it for 10 years where it was normal and then right. five years we paid horrible prices for insurance yep. and in the last two years because of all the changes and you know all the the differences it is to do business in the city you know the condos have gone from a million to 20 million wow. so you can see where you need this insurance yeah it's little things like that so yeah i'm still getting pushback yeah traffic is just out of control the way people are driving on the yeah. interstates you don't hear about these interstates being closed every two hours because people were driving the way they were 10 years ago. They're out of control. Oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. But Bill, you still got it. Like for people who aren't sitting in the room, you know, we're, we're sitting in front of you. You lean in to every problem that you had and you're still doing it. It's just part of your DNA. It, you don't know what? Uh, like it made me smarter. Had this all not happened to me, the way I look at it, I look back at it positively. Yeah. Uh, the... If I hadn't had all those problems in the beginning when I didn't know what to do, if I did know what to do, I probably would have gotten out of it. I would have never been successful. We figured it out, the right people around you. You have to have the right people around you. Yeah. Like right now, 
even though Donald Booker had passed away, I had the right lawyer. In 85, people came after me after Donald Booker passed away, literally with some pushback, just stupid stuff, political stuff, okay, but with Don Booker. Now my attorney is not only a CPA and a realtor, he's one of the most successful lawyers in the country and literally left one of the biggest law firms in the country just to hang out with me and my friends. <laughs> he represents about 10. Oh, wow. I'm blessed with amazingly yeah. wealthy friends. Yeah, I mean, awesome. two of my best friends have sold companies that are worth, not only did the Stone Balloon and the trucking company gross, it's approaching 110 million now. I mean, I've got guys that sold companies around me for three and four hundred million dollars. Wow. You know, they, you they founded ama <laughs> amazing companies in amazing places. Yeah. And you know, I just, I smiled when I got the email after I emailed Bruce and said, $500 million, are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> you know? Now, it's not like that Bruce would, I'm not insinuating that Bruce would lend me money or I would borrow it from him. You know, he'd go, who are you again? <laughs> but I mean, that's the kind of people that are, that success brings yeah, in yeah. close to you. Yeah. I've treated everybody amazing and I will continue to do that forever. Yeah, awesome. And regardless of whether my daughter, my granddaughter, my wife tell me every day, please make this the last trip. Hmm. Yeah. They have wanted me to retire for two years. I'm telling all my clients, you know, it's going to be at least two more. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, thank you so much for this. Yeah. This was great. The the time it was, I, we could go on for hours more. Um, I really appreciate you coming out and sharing your stories. And uh, I, I know I learned a lot, even though I've been in that place a lot. And uh, I think as an entrepreneur, it's great to hear how hard these stories are. Yeah, we, we didn't need another book. Like your stories change lives. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, great. Bill, Bill yeah. thank you so much for your yeah. time. This, is this awesome. was great. Thank yeah. you very much. This is great. Thank yeah. you. This was fun. Yeah. Women live around. Still no story can come.